gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelberus. I'm 903 years old, and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Allons-y! Would you like a jelly bacon?
haven't started yet. I I think we pretty much started. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sean. I think the (laughs) with all these awesome people. My name is Hope Molinax, but we're actually led by Sean Engel. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, thank you, Hope. I appreciate you for helping me bring this in. Hello, fellow Whovians, and welcome to episode number eight of Who Drew Freaks, the monthly podcast that delves into the history of one of the greatest characters of all science fiction, a time-traveling, two-hearted, half-Gallifreyan, half-human, allegedly, hero known as the Doctor. My name's Sean Engel, and today we're going to be taking a look at the iteration of our favorite Time Lord that had either the shortest or the longest tenure in the role, depending upon how you look at it. FYI, I consider it the shortest, but we'll get to that discussion later. Yes, this time out, we're going to be covering the Paul McGann, or the Eight Doctors, one and only adventure put to film, and talking about his contribution to the series as a whole. And as usual, to make the podcast far more entertaining for our wonderful listeners, I've rounded up some of the best and brightest in the podcasting community to help cover for my inadequacies. I don't know about the brightest. Well, uh, and uh, starting off, of course, with that lovely voice, we have the host of Hope of All Trades, the finest female member of the Two True Freaks family, Miss Hope Mullinex. How's it going, Hope? Doing pretty good. I wouldn't say the finest, judging I'm the only one, so by default I win uh, that award. I think I think you can classify yourself that way. Yes. Next oh, up, thank you. Next up is the voice of Two True Freaks and co-host of the new podcast, Avengers Spotlight, Mr. Bill Robinson. Hey, Bill. Hey, Sean. Good morning, everybody. Beginning with the UK, continuing the show, we have the host of Flash Legacies, a Wally, Wally West podcast, Mr. Dave Walker. How's it going, Dave? Not too bad. Everything's nice and sunny here for once, which is strange. That is surprising for for the Emerald Isle, yes. Yeah, uh, you gave it to us a lanterns, man. It's been raining for months. <laughs> Assholes. I didn't know they could do that. Maybe it's a weather wizard thing. Following that, we have my good friend and coast of the vault of startling monster horror. Oh, he's... Oh, yes, he is here. <laughs> You've been so quiet, Chris, I didn't even know. It's Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. Chris? Yes, he's really quiet. Yeah. Maybe he's not here. Unfortunately, oh, he's using we... sign language, but we can't <laughs> see him. Oh, there we go. I had okay. the mic muted. Okay. I was like... Uh, <laughs> welcome to podcasting. Uh, um, oh yeah, I was gonna say, uh, unlike the doctor, I don't have two hats, I have no hat. <laughs> nice. Also from the UK is the host of Hey Kids Comics, along with his son Michael, Mr. Andrew Leyland. Hello today, Andrew. Hello. Good to have you along. And following along the same line is UK host, or is Andrew's co-host over at the, is Andrew's co-host over at the Fantastic Cast, Mr. Stephen Lacey. I like to think of Andrew Moore as not so much a co-host as um, Lackey. That will do. <laughs> Although, uh, actually, bearing in mind I need to beg him for a re-record, perhaps I'll be nice to him today. I like sir. to think of him as my lord and master, <laughs> whose boots I'm not worthy of licking. Because my <laughs> after the recording was okay. Yes. His son, it broke the internet. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> Let's see. We also have the co-host of the Fire and Water podcast and Perpetual Thorn on the Side of Mr. Rob Kelly, the Irredeemable Shag. How's it going today? Uh, just fine. Going forward, I'd like to be referred to as the Asian Child. <laughs> <laughs> we meet again, Shag. <clears throat> oh, we do. And wrapping up our little list is co-host of Better in the Dark with his best friend, Mr. Derek Ferguson, acclaimed author and all-around awesome guy, Mr. Thomas DJ. How's it going today, Thomas? 
Well, you know, uh, today I f- at first I thought I was going to dress up like the Terminator, but now I decided to just mince around in a funky robe instead. <laughs> you always oh. like to dress for the occasion. Evil Liberace. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of redundant. It's that flouts. Why did you end that line? That just makes it. Well, if you didn't know, we were probably, if you didn't know from the conversation, we're going to be talking about, like I said, the iteration, the eighth doctor, Mr. Paul McCann. But before we do that, we're going to get to some breaking and topical news, which won't be breaking and topical by the time this comes out, because we've got like a one month lead time. Yes, something important happened in the world of Doctor Who, and, well, they chose a new doctor. Oh, oh. we're going to talk about that, are we? Oh, yeah, I guess so. What were you wanting to talk about, Stephen? Well, IDW lost the license to publish Doctor Who comics. It's now been picked up by Tyson Comics. But no, 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 go and talk about a new Doctor if you really want to. Oh, oh, crap, I didn't know. Oh. Is that IDW thing true? Yeah, they, they, it's, they've reached an end. Titan are going to publish new Doctor Who comics as of 2014, um, which does uh. unfortunately mean that the planned series to be written by Mark Wade isn't going to happen. Well, son of a bitch. IDW's been doing some good stuff. Yeah, the they, Doctor Who stuff has been pretty impressive with them. They have been. I think uh, it's partly because with being a British publisher, they can get a deal on the table, which will mean that we can buy Doctor Who comics in the UK. Because we can't. You can't get ITW stuff over there? You have to import no, it? because you can't even import it. It's because the license to sell Doctor Who comics in the UK is given to Doctor Who magazine owned by Panini Publishing. Wow. Yeah, and it's a UK exclusive thing that dates back long before the new series kicked off. But it's something that's very difficult to break. And uh, because Panini are going under, Titan are trying to buy up Doctor Who magazine. Jeez, oh, Pete. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's disappointing. I did wonder why I couldn't get any. Yeah, that's why, basically, unless you've got uh, someone like Forbidden Planet who buys from a retailer in America. Hmm. You, you aren't going to get it. What? Anyway, anyway, that's so kind of a, about some some bloke. Yeah, who's this guy Peter Capaldi? Because aside from uh, aside from the ironic fact that I looked up on IMDb that his last role was in World War Z as the WHO doctor, I have uh, really uh-huh. no, I really have no connection with this person. Do get you to Netflix and get yourself rented. The American film version of The Thick of It, which he did with the guy from The Sopranos who died recently. Oh, it's uh, called In the Loop. In the Loop, that's it. And it's really it's good. A, Go and rent that first. On, it's available for streaming as well. Plus, he was in the only really worthwhile season of Torchwood. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, he, he's, he's been in Doctor Who as well. He was in um, The Fires of Pompeii. Fires of Pompeii which Karen Gillan was in, which means anyone else who was in that episode must be sort of lining up and going, so what am I being made regular on the show then? Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the other notable guy from that is the guy who played the soothsayer, uh, the, the, the bad human, who then was uh, the is bad guy in the first Sherlock? episode of Sherlock. Yeah. Yes. Love that one. <laughs> but Capaldi's also an Oscar winner. Yeah, I know really? It's like a, a short film, yeah? Short film in the mid-90s. Yeah. Okay. So he's also he's also the same age that William Hartnell was when uh, Hartnell was given the role back in 1963. So do we well, want to take? He's, 
do we want to take anything from the fact that they've chosen a person who's around the same age as Hartnoid? Are they trying to sort of bring it full circle and kind of play a character who might be a lot more like Hartnoid? I think so. I don't think I, so. I, I think that the older Doctor means that uh, you look at Matt Smith, his favourite Doctor is the second Doctor. You can see a lot of that in there. You can see a lot of uh, number five and number four, for instance, in Tenant's uh, incarnation. I think they're looking for an older Doctor who can bring those sort of more patronly aspects that Hartnell and Pertwee were quite good at doing. I, I don't think so. I, I think, honestly, they're just picking the best actor for the role that they're looking at for the next round. I think if someone who is Smith's age came in and blew it out of the water, I think they would have gave it to him either way. I mean, or I gave it to the new guy either way. So I think they just, he was the best person that they had at the moment. I don't think age matters at all. Oh, maybe they're just tired of writing in all the romantic tension into the show. Oh, thank God. Well, I mean, like some old lady come in, he's going to be macking on a grandma. Yeah, I mean, Alex Kingston went and he took Clara's mother and just goes, hey, Clara. I, your mom. So, uh, here's a quick thought on it. I, I've been doing a lot of thinking on it, and everyone has some sort of first doctor, or new doctor jitters where they're, they're nervous about the changeover at some point, but I have no doubt the guy's gonna do a great job. He's gonna be, every, every doctor comes in and just makes the role their own and does a great job. The only thing I think that they might run into an issue is they're, they, they lose the potential of, um, I'm sorry, they have the potential of losing a lot of more recent viewers. Because there is a whole bunch of people that join the show that swoon over David Tennant and Matt Smith. And the age thing could present a problem with a lot of those younger viewers that watch for the, oh. the hunky doctor. It yes, just no. means that and it means we're going to get rid of all the shippers, thank God. Hey! The shippers <laughs> keep the show on the air. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. I, I no, the, the, the average viewer keeps the show on the air. As long as the average viewer tunes in regularly and the ratings maintain the healthy thing they've got, the shipper audience is a very small portion of the audience, as is the hardcore fan. But and I there has to come a point where the producers don't pay attention to them. I say they have to pay attention to the general show. And it's the average British audience as well. Yeah, I mean, the shippers are a very small portion, but they're a very loud portion. Just because they have access yep. to Tumblr. <laughs> that is where they live. You are absolutely correct. That doesn't mean I'm going to pay any more attention to them. Actually, but, I've but, seen better reactions on Tumblr than I have in real life. Um, most people on Tumblr that I've talked to have been pretty much like, we're going to give him a chance, you know, he's going to be great, he's going to be hilarious. But in the store I work at, we get a lot of Whovians in my store, and I've asked them, and pretty much everybody under 25 was like, oh, I'm not going to like him because he's old. The only person who said that they're excited was like a 10-year-old boy I talked to yesterday. And he's like, he's going to be the best doctor ever. And I'm like, you're my new best friend. Uh, <laughs> and the 10-year-old is the core audience, not the 25-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing to keep in mind is that I, I've always said that Stephen Moffat has, been tr- has tried since day one to, if not replace New Who with Classic Who, kind of pulling the show into a kind of happy medium. And I think having an older doctor is one of these strategies to create that new classic fusion. So I really wanted Rupert Grint to be the first uh, ginger doctor. <laughs> I was really rooting for him. Either that or Robert Carlyle, but 
he's uh, on a show right now, so he wouldn't be able to do it. Well, I think he's going to be great. I just, I, I do, and maybe it's just because my exposure of my <clears throat> the circle of people I know that have started watching the show in the last few years that are just the general normal people that aren't sci-fi fans like us. I think they are going to really struggle with the change because they are really all about how cute the Doctor is. That's a big factor to them when they got when they came to the show. So all the uh, bookstore end caps full of Doctor Who merchandise. They get bought by 13-year-olds over here in the States. I don't think we're going to sell as much going forward. I hope I'm wrong. I often am. So. That's what you always were. Nice. <laughs> I think they've paid too much attention to how old he is. The guy doesn't look 55. Not he's an all. excellent actor. I have to think he's a pretty good-looking bloke, but what do I know? I think too much attention has been paid to, the, to his age, which is irrelevant. Really? He's a damn good actor. He will be phenomenal in the part. And isn't that what we, we want? And I mean, wasn't that kind of the thing that we were kind of concerned about with Matt Smith? We didn't know how good of an yeah. actor he was, and he was just yeah. kind of a face, but he actually <laughs> turned out to be okay. And now we've turned around and said, we've got this incredible actor who's a bit old and, you know, not as photogenic, so we're going to completely dismiss him. I don't, I don't get that. And an argument could be made that this, that he's the best actor we've had in New Who since Christopher Eccleston. I would probably give you that. Is anyone else hoping that two words come up at some point? Chameleon Arch. <laughs> that would just be hilarious. What? what? I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. No. <laughs> he ends up being the guy in Rome. Oh. Uh. There you mm. go. That, that, that was quite a leap. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it would be funny. Then he, he could just be in Rome on the day and go, oh, I look like, oh, maybe it was me. I know, I'll run in and I'll be that... No, no. <laughs> um, it could be an accident. Now, Bill, uh, uh, you mentioned to me earlier that you had a question about Peter Capaldi that you wanted to ask. Yeah, actually, I've been doing a little research uh, um, because the first thing that I thought of when he was selected was, hmm, is this going to lead to something with the Valyard from that one long season of uh, uh, that? Thank you. And... I did a little research. Of course, it was Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth. And I had forgotten, well, what it states there was that the Valyard was actually not a incarnation, per se, but an amalgamation of all the negative energy that who came into existence somewhere between the 12th and the 13th Doctor's generation, uh, uh, regeneration. So I had thought perhaps that Peter Capaldi would become the Valyard, but now it looks like I'm, I'm a little mistaken there. Um, unless, of course, our regeneration count is off because of um, John Hurt. So I, anybody have any ideas or know more about the Valyard than I do, perhaps? <laughs> I think it's not coincidence that the Valyard was mentioned in the name of the Doctor. Because they've had other times where people give the Doctor names, you know, Destroyer of Worlds and things like that. Um, the Gathering Catherine Storm. Gatry, um, mm. Yeah, the Oncoming Storm. They've never mentioned the Valyard before, I think, because everyone wants to stick their heads in the sand and pretend he doesn't exist. Um, there was, that was an official thing in the Virgin New Adventures, was we're not interested in stories featuring the Valyard, which is why there were two of them. Um, but I don't think it was a coincidence. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's going to come into play again. I don't think they're going to get hung up on it. I think they're not going to talk about the Valyard. I think they are going to talk about, you know, obviously this John Hurt character, and that theme may carry for a while, as far as the Doctor had... 
you know, some shady pasts, uh, or whether John Hurt was just the time war doctor, we don't know. But I, I don't think they're going to get hung up on the old continuity. I think they're just going to write their own, but use that same kind of idea that there was a questionable doctor. Well, I think J- John Hurt is either one of two things, uh, the, the time war doctor or something that, um, Something the Doctor did prior that may, he may be an incarnation prior to William Hartnell and is the reason why William Hartnell went on the run to begin with. I, I was thinking see, I that lo- myself. I, I, I loathe that idea. I'm with you. I think I said the last time I was on here, the last thing I want to do is find out exactly why the Doctor left Gallifrey. I, all I ever want to know is that he left and he had his granddaughter with him. I don't even want to know if she's really his granddaughter or not. There have been more than enough explanations for that over the years. Yeah, I'd rather he was between eight and nine or a future Doctor, but I don't want a previous Doctor and his crime is why the Doctor's on the run, because that makes everything too easy. Well, they keep saying we don't know who the Doctor really is, so I'm afraid it may be a, a, pro, a proto-Hartnell thing. Mm. And I agree with you, I don't, I don't want to see it. I, I, Actually, I kind of hope he's the other, but that is probably a reference only Shag's going to get. Yeah, right, go I was say, that's, that's really reaching, man. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Hope. Oh, I was just saying, I, I heard a spoiler, but I don't know how true it is, and I hope it's not true because I don't like it. Okay. I don't know if you guys, how open you guys are to spoilers. Uh, I don't want to know. Take, I'm going to take my headphones off, mention on Skype in the chat thing when you're done. Is everyone good? Sure. Bring it on. You out, Andy? I heard that it's Christopher Eccleston's doctor who was aged during the time war, cause, and it's their replacement for Eccleston because he couldn't make it back. Don't buy it. Yeah, it, yeah. it's really far-fetched out there, but that's what I heard. <laughs> Alright, let's bring the folks back in. Come back in. Okay. But I don't... So Linda Thorson's actually going to be the doctor, are you sure, Hope? <laughs> <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger makes a guest appearance as a companion? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, he played the Tavis. Danny DeVito's in it, too. Get Come on, get into, get into me. Let's go. I'm a Tavis. Get down. <laughs> uh, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Brigadier. The chap with the big there, five rounds rapid. Come with me if you want to live. No, oh, no, I, was, I, was reading, uh, I was reading a piece today with Hulk issue for Pad Smasher, one from the uh, Joe Fix era where a guy you know, is being under attack from a demon and goes, Benton! There's a chap with wings there! Five more rounds rapid! It's like, oh, that's Peter David. Now, well done, Peter. With the, uh, with the new Doctor, what sort of uh, enemies do you think will be coming back? Because isn't the Daleks contract up this season and where they don't have to be in every season, Shag? Oh, thank God. They, they that, don't I don't, that I don't know. Like that. We talked about that a long time ago on one of our old shows, that this last season of Smiths, that um, their contract's going to be up so they don't have to be in every season. Sorry, you I'm not sure. You shit shag. Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna... smart, you dumbass. What? Is this, I, a, I, is this a joke? I, well, I remember there being a discussion about they had a contract where the dogs had to show up every season. I don't remember there being an expiration on it, but um, I have no doubt that the Terry Nation group, if they're, they're going to basically renegotiate and say, if you want to use the Daleks, you're going to have to use them every year. I have no doubt they'll do that. I I see a group of Daleks out, outside the studio. On uh, they're starting to film the new season. We had a contract. We had a contract. Negotiate. Negotiate. <laughs> oh, that would work if 
if it wasn't just utter crap. There's no such thing as a contract. Terry Nation Estate needs to be credited for it, and they have some sort of financial remuneration. But there's no such thing, well, if you don't use them every year, we're going to take them somewhere else. Because the BBC will turn around and go, well, no, you can't. So you mean Shag is wrong? Yay! It's possible. That's what I heard. I also heard Mikey died from Pop Rocks and Soda, but whatever. Oh, those are delicious together. I also heard that you need to sandwiches. Man, th- 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 this rumor is as bad as Paul McGann's wig. Talking of his wig... <laughs> oh, zing! Nice sure. segue. Excellent, Thank sir. You. That oh, is going wig. to lead us into the synopsis, which I've carefully crafted uh, over the last couple of nights, about the movie, Doctor Who the Movie, which aired <clears throat> on the 14th of May, 1996, in the United States, and aired in the UK the week after on the 27th of May. It was directed by Jeffrey Sachs, written by Matthew Jacobs, and executive produced by Philip David Siegel, Alex Beaton, and Joe Wright of the BBC. The cast included Sylvester McCoy as the Seventh Doctor, Paul McGann and his amazing wig as the Eighth Doctor, Daphne Ashbrook as Grace, Yi Ji So as Chang Li, and Eric Roberts as the Master. The story opens with the remains of the Master being taken from the back from the planet Skaro back to his home planet of Galray by who else but his mortal enemy, the Doctor. No mention that Skaro was decimated by the Hand of Omega in the episode Remembrance of the Daleks, but whatever, just go with it. Anywho, something happens with the TARDIS which causes the box holding the Master's remains to break open. Out from the box oozes the CGI stot monster that I guess is supposed to be the Master. The Gallifreyan Gak messes with the TARDIS controls and causes the craft to land on, wait for it, Earth, yeah, specifically San Francisco on December 30th, 1999. In Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's never happened there before. The Doctor exits the TARDIS to try and figure out what's going on and gets shot by probably the most 90s gang of Asian thugs ever put to video. <laughs> A young man named Chang Li, who the thugs were chasing, witnesses the shooting and calls for an ambulance to pick up the doctor. Arriving at the hospital, Li runs off with the doctor's possessions as heart surgeon Grace Holloway is called in from the operator, not the operator, called in from the opera to operate on the gunshot victim. The initial x-rays of the patient show that he has two hearts, but Grace feels that this must be a mistake and begins surgery. This unfortunately does not go well as the patient awakens on the table screaming that he needs a beryllium beryllium clock, seizes, and then unfortunately dies. Grace declares the patient dead and his body is taken to the morgue. All the while, the Master Ooze has found its way into the body of Boss Maroney from the Dark Knight, who is moonlighting as a paramedic. The goo essentially mouth rapes him and causes him to have creepy lizard eyes and kill his annoying wife. Back at the morgue, strange things are afoot as the doctor begins his regeneration and exits the morgue as Jesus, our lord and savior. Well, not really, but the guy dressed in the white linen walking out of the autopsy room sure freaks out the tubby orderly Will Sasso. Not ordering, not knowing who, bastards, not knowing who he is or why he's here, the doctor rummages through some lockers and finds a costume that fits him and then follows the surgeon that operated on him the previous night. In the back of our Range Rover, the Doctor pulls out the catheter that Grace had placed in his chest the prior night, cementing the idea that he was the man who died on the operating table. And with that, the two head back to Grace's home to try and figure out what's going on with the amnesiac Doctor. 
Meanwhile, Chang Li has made it back to the TARDIS and has gone inside since he took the Doctor's key and all that. Somehow, the Master shows up and takes Li to the cloister room where he has him open up the Eye of Harmony because only human, repi- human retinas can open it and he's got V alien eyes. Li does this, which restores the Doctor's memory and allows the Master to see what the Doctor is doing. Unfortunately, opening the Eye of Harmony has also caused massive spatial distortions that will eventually collapse the Earth in upon itself. But the Doctor can fix all of this by simply getting apart from an atomic clock. Lucky for him, Grace just happens to know someone who is unveiling such a clock, and the duo head out to the SFTAR, the San Francisco Institute of Technological Advancement and Research, to get the piece. Coincidentally, the Doctor and Grace are being picked up by a caring ambulance driver slash Terminator wannabe and his Asian sidekick to help expedite their journey. Of course, this was the Master and his creepy lizard eyes, and after the Master hawks a big old loogie on Grace, the Doctor and Grace leap from the ambulance and steal a police motorcycle to make their way to the Sftar. The duo make it to the exhibition, steal the clock part, and head back to the TARDIS, where they install the part and close the Eye of Harmony. But since the eye has been open for so long, the whole spatial distortion thing can't be stopped, and now the Doctor must travel back in time to before the eye was opened to try and stop it. Ripley wobbly timey wimey. But before he can do that, Grace is possessed by the Master's loogie and cold cocks the Doctor. Some time has passed, and the Doctor has been immobilized all clockwork orange style in the cloister room, while the Master has changed into his evil Liberace outfit. The Master demands that Chang Li reopen the eye so he might steal the Doctor's regenerations, and when he refuses, the Master violently snaps his neck. However, he has a backup minion in Grace, who opens the Eye of Harmony, but breaks free from the Master's control because of it. As the eye opens and the master begins to relieve as the eye opens and the master begins to relieve the doctor of his remaining regenerations, Grace runs to the TARDIS control panel and reroutes power to the systems, putting the TARDIS in a temporal orbit and stopping the destruction of Earth. Grace runs back to the cloister room to free the doctor, but before she can, she's tossed over the railing to her death. Railing kill. The master <laughs> welcome. The Master attempts to end the Doctor's life as well, but in turn is sucked into the Eye of Harmony and killed. For reals, we'll never see him again. Honest, he's gone forever. Trust me. And with the Master engulfed by the Eye, time reverts back to normal and both Lee and Grace are brought back to life because shut up, it's Doctor Who. Crisis averted and the Eye of Harmony shut again, the Doctor drops Grace and Chang off and warps off in the TARDIS, hopefully to a long and entertaining series. There you go. Unfortunately. (laughs) Thank you guys for all the uh, Skype text that I was unable to read during the synopsis. Uh, What do you guys think of the show? I think (laughs) I take offense to you calling uh, Bruce's wife annoying. (laughs) Really? Yeah. God, have you ever slept with someone who snores? It's annoying as hell. And all she wanted to do was sleep, and then she wanted to get some loving. What's so annoying about that? That was a bit dumb. Eric oh, Roberts has no time for love. <laughs> Bruce's wife was actually Eric Roberts' real wife. Oh dear. Yeah, that, that was. So hey, so Eric Roberts snores. To the studio, so I can kill you. <laughs> I know there had to be some fulfillment in there somewhere. <laughs> Are they still together? Don't know. Uh. Anyway, I liked it. <laughs> well, I liked parts of it. Thing as I, it was the yeah. first thing I watched from Doctor Who when I was 16. Oh god, I feel old. This is one of the few exposures to old Who I have. Like, I've seen uh, an episode here or there, 
So, but like this is pretty much any like my full exposure to old Who that I have. So, and I love my Ape Doctor baby. He's so handsome. Mm-hmm. He is. He is, char- he is charming. Oh, not just charming. And then you have like great like chest Jesus shots of him where he's like, I don't know who I am, and I'm just like, it's okay, baby, come with me, I'll show you. And <laughs> there's the, there's the 13 year old fangirl right there, boys. And, and just it's, telling it's you. funny that when he was offered the part. Um, Richard E. Grant, who was in Whitnell and I with him, jeered him and said, you're not serious about taking this job. No self-respecting actor would be Doctor Who. And guess what Richard E. Grant became a couple of years later? Oh, no. yeah, he was you one got of the that out of order, that. Didn't you? No, no, you're right. No. You're in order. Never he mind. You're right. Screw that, the uh, shock that came later. Uh, Never mind. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Death. Yep. How funny. So, yeah, I, I like... I, in fact, to be honest... The the one really excellent thing about this movie was Paul McGann. I think he sold the role of the Doctor. He took it on, and he looked like he could have carried it to a series. But unfortunately, I think it was more... Well, the placement of when this show aired that kind of doomed it. Because I heard, uh, or from, from what I read, it really did well in the UK. It was really well-received. But over here in the US, it happened to go air date right along with the final season or the final episode of Roseanne. <laughs> final episode of the penultimate season, I believe. It's basically the one where um, mm-hmm. uh, Dan has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone and their dog was watching Roseanne and no one watched yeah. this. So It got good ratings. I wouldn't say it was well received. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, we any discussion of this show, we have to look at it in two levels has a Doctor Who story, and has a pilot. Right, and well, for, on that, first of all, and I, I don't want to piss on anybody's bonfire, I thought this was appalling. Take Paul McGann out of this, this is shocking. It's the J.J. Abrams of Doctor Who. It seems like it's produced by people who don't actually understand what the show is and what it's about. It looks god-awful like a Canadian oh, yeah. TV movie of the week. Well, it is a Canadian that. TV movie of the week. It was shot in Vancouver. Which would explain why it looks like that, then. Yeah. Paul Gant, the, the soul-saving grace of the film. It's no, awful. I, but... I, I'll argue that grace is also the other saving grace. Oh, the film. Oh, I no, really no. like Daphne Ashbrook in this. See, I like Lee more than Grace. I think he uh, has... Eric oh, Lee, Lee's awful. They're both terrible. Hey guys, Bill needs to bow out okay. right fast, so do you want him to say bye right fast? Okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry we're bye. keeping you, Bill. We, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll have you on next time if you're ready. Yeah, 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 no problem. I just didn't get a chance to do a full rewatch and because uh, being uh, uh, becoming the Bill Vereen last Take Monday. A lot of time, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what a fever will do to you when you go to shave. So <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen that picture, it's available on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> Definitely All go right. check out the Bill Vereen. Thanks for coming on, Bill. We'll talk to you later. Bye, Bill. Bye, Bye. Bye Bill. Bye-bye. Bye. Has, has a Doctor Who story, this is a very mediocre story. Has a pilot, it's a god-awful mess. Mm-hmm. It 
does it, it, it assumes a level of understanding of the Doctor Who universe and then proceeds to screw all that understanding up. I mean, the mistakes are so many. The um, the story is very paper thin, and it it looks cheap. It looks tawdry. It looks oddly enough in the context of 1996. Worse than, let's say, one of the shows from 1970 looked in the context of being in, from 1970. See, I think the TARDIS looks better than Matt Smith's current TARDIS. I oh, hate I love the TARDIS, TARDIS, yes. Yeah, the, the interior TARDIS is of the one TARDIS. of the highlights. Yeah. The TARDIS is absolutely beautiful. And I have to brag, at yeah. Gallifrey this past year, I actually touched that Jules Verne console. It's really amazing. I love the, the interlocking crystals for the time rotor. Yes. Yeah, it's a classy design. Do you guys think that they wrote down to the American audience? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, did, did, did they write down, or did they just have a writer that wrote at that level? There's a difference. Yeah, no. I don't think they wrote down. I don't think they explained the concept well enough for a new audience, American or not. They didn't. They, they picked up with Sylvester McCoy. So you're with an audience who may never have seen Doctor Who before. So suddenly this guy gets shot and wakes back up. And Paul McGann has to deliver some god-awful gobs of exposition to Grace in the middle part of the film, where he's explaining Doctor Who lore to a bunch of people who may have never have seen Doctor Who before. And it just slows the film down. Thomas is, is, is right. They, they don't make any effort to make this an introduction to the show, which is what it should be. It's a pilot for a new Doctor Who series. It should have started with the Doctor. shouldn't have started with Sylvester McCoy. This is one thing Russell T. Davies got exactly right. You start with the Doctor and you explain it as you go along. Russell T. Davies managed this in 45 minutes. Rose may not be the greatest episode, but it tells you everything you need to know if you've never seen the show before. Now, are you saying that coming from having a background with Doctor Who? Because when I first watched this movie years ago, it was... I had seen maybe two or three episodes of Doctor Who, and then I saw this movie, and I was able to tackle it without having any past or history, and I completely understood it. Like, I, I got, okay, Time Lord, he regenerates, cool. I got it. So, so maybe just, it's not badly written, then. Yeah, like, Let I mean, it was like probably that. the third or fourth, quote-unquote, episode of Doctor Who I ever saw. But you were still aware of it before you saw it. Well, he, hold on. I would. My I would argue. My first episode was Blink. My second episode was Girl in the Fireplace, and then it was probably this. So I really didn't have much background. I, I would argue that the parts explaining the Doctor's ability to regenerate the TARDIS. I think that was all explained fine. It's the bit with the Master taking his body and yeah, the, I had when did the Master snake? become a that black blue snake? Um, in the novel Eight Doctors, if you really want to go for it, otherwise it doesn't matter at all. It is explained very briefly in there, but it's just, it, it's a thing that allows this him is, to do yeah. stuff. But there was this a snake not- motif in Survival, though. He had a snake belt. Yeah, this is this is he- nothing to do with that at well, all. This is, I think, a lot of this lays at the feet of, of Siegel, who was a Who fan, and I think presumed a great level of Who knowledge with his fan base, because I don't even know about this Eighth Doctor novel. And I'm a pretty knowledgeable Who guy. All well, I saw was like, I, I think when I, I saw it, when it was when it aired, I let the black gooey snake slide because, okay, it's I'm getting Doctor Who back. 
I mean, I think there's also just some things in Who that... And, and I, that's what I kind of like about the movie above some of the stuff in the new season. I feel like in the new season's fans kind of demand every explanation for every single thing that happens. This just sort of is. The Master's a gooey snake. Cool. It happens. Apparently he can do that. And I, and I like that about this. You just have to take it for face value and it kind of makes it fun. It kind of gets back in that childhood belief of like, okay, I'm going to believe whatever you throw at me. Well, I feel like in the new seasons, I see people bitch all the time about, like, oh, we must have an explanation of why this happens, or else it does not make sense. And I'm just like, no, just enjoy it. <laughs> is, is it any different from, you know, let's take a look at the Master in the past, so he can suddenly magically take over Tremis's body in Keeper of Charkin, or there's no explanation from how he goes from the, the grizzled husk uh, to something a bit more movable in Keeper of Charkin, or, you know, how he sets himself up as a doctor and a vicar and anything else that is in the Pertwee era. It's just, it's another way of getting him into the situation um, so the Doctor can fight him. But you see, Stephen, like, okay, using your, your example of the Keeper of Traken, while it was never explained, I could do the, the connect the dots and figure that he must have drawn enough of the energy off of the the, the fireplace of the cosmos. So can't can't you just go? Well, he he's he's taken some biological technology from another race. The Daleks are actually in on the plan, so they haven't fully exterminated him. They've actually done something different, which looks like extermination. Twenty time laws watching. It's this. It's that. You you can let your imagination run wild. The fact that you don't know what it is shouldn't stop you from going. Okay, well it's a way of getting him to take over the body of the person and allow the Doctor not to recognise him. Because as we'll see when we have our chat later on, one of the greatest things about this is when people, when Time Lords and people don't recognise each other. And that's what makes, I think, that's what allows this to last as long as it does, because the Doctor doesn't realise who the Master is until uh, later on in the thing. Well, and everyone's hung up. Wow. Well, I, I was, yeah. no, was going to try and take us in a little more positive thing. So I, th- I can sit here and bash Eric Roberts as the Master all day long. Um, oh, I can't. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> The re- let's talk about something cool, like the the regeneration scene. I mean, this was the first time we saw a big budget, big to do regeneration scene. And while <laughs> the special the special effects are very 1996 television, they really are. So, mm-hmm. Sorry, um, how much they have to pay Sylvester McCoy to pull funny faces? He'll do that on prompt. That's true. Uh, I thought it was, you know at the time. Now, see, I saw this thing go out live, and even then, yeah, I re- yeah. recognized it was sort of a, a campy X Files. But the special effects were still pretty good. If you ignored, like, Star Trek Next Generation level, um, special effects were still pretty good uh, for the time on Fox, and uh, I, I was impressed with it. If we're talking the regeneration, I think the actual regeneration itself is, you're just looking at going, that's Sylvester McCoy pulling funny faces. He's done that his entire career. He does that in The Hobbit, just with bird shit all over him. <laughs> um, what I like more is the juxtaposition of the regeneration and Frankenstein. Which I think is actually a really nice touch. Even though, yeah, you go, oh, that's a bit laboured when Frank starts going, he's alive! As Paul McGann breathes out. I, I really like that. It's, it's a, it's about the only time the regeneration has been a key part of the plot of the episode rather than a cliffhanger or denouement. And I really like how that's given the weight itself rather than it's a big flashy effect and then, oh, it's a new actor being slightly quirky in the 30 seconds he's got available to him. I, I think that Sachs, the d- director, was Sachs, right? Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Sachs. He does yeah. show these. There are there are some interesting juxtapositions. He chooses some some choices that he makes 
that are very interesting. It, it, it's not like his fault that the script is tacked. No, I think he more than does justice to what he's yeah. given. And he's got some really nice flares. There's some wonderful shots and compositions in the thing. I mean, and even like something like the simple shot of um, the Doctor and, and Grace walking through that like <clears throat> that like park with all the Christmas lights still on. I love that scene. Yeah. It, it's just such a nice composition and it's just like a really just really striking look to it. Yeah, that's, that's that scene that scene in the park between the composition of the shot the the acting in that shot the humor in that shot, that is the single best scene in the entire show. Really? Because right when you get lines like, don't you see? I have 13 lives and it's completely obvious. It's like You can tell Paul McGowan's going, how the fuck do I say this? This is one of the worst <laughs> lines ever written. And it is. It's, the writing in that scene is awful. What saves it is the direction in Jeffrey Sachs' is an excellent job with it and the acting between the two. I think Paul McGowan... No, no, no. I'm, just I'm, talking about this. I'm talking about the tiny little segment in the park. Just the part where he's uh, walking with her, talking about the sky was full of meteors. Oh, yes, the guy. And he goes, and he goes shoes. <laughs> that's that, the scene I think that best captures nice, the best. doctor right there. Like yes. for this, that's Paul McGann's doctor in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, and I like, think that's Galbraith the also... and these shoes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. dude. Always more interested in the minutiae of who wrote Petrini's last opera thing is about the fact, yeah, I'm a new guy, but I'm the same guy. And he doesn't know how white grace is more interested in the other. It's funny you mentioned the 13 lives thing because he actually says it wrong. He actually said 12, and they had to redub 13 over it. And if you watch, you watch his mouth. He says 12, clearly. Yeah, they showed it to the guy who used to run Outpost Gallifrey, and he went, yeah, it's 12 regenerations, 13 lives. So they redubbed it. And, and I think also what, what makes that scene work, too, is that, you know, we can get into our discussion of whether Daphne Ashbrook was a decent actress or not, but there was a chemistry there. Hmm. And and one of the things I, I one thing I did like about Grace is that she's the first like really really whip smart companion we've had in a long time. She's kind of like the pre Martha. I always see her like pre Martha. Mm-hmm. Or the 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 next generation of Liz Shaw. Yes. Ew, yes, I like that. Hmm. That makes sense. She gets a little dippy though. Like <laughs> she that, starts that, that freaking that freaking jacket of hers. Well, she starts off strong, and then she starts, you know, getting goofy lines and being like, "What do we do now, Doctor?" Instead well, of taking the charge, time, they, they the dumb her down. She, but she reminds me of Amy Pond a lot too, because like the exact same thing happened to Amy in The Beast Below. I mean, and we've we've talked about this before, Shag, about how like the Doctor just kind of threw her in the situation, and she had no idea what was going on. And she was just like, uh, "Okay, well, I'll just sort of roll with this." Oh God. I mean, I, I think she was thrown in a situation way over your head. I mean, would you believe a man to come up to you that you is saying that he was a different man that you killed the night before? Come up to you and say, hey, I need you to help me save the world. Oh, my God, I'm pulling stuff out of my chest. Oh, my gosh, look, there's a snake man. Like, like wouldn't you be completely dippy and lost? Hey, these shoes are so cool. Well, no, I mean, I, I agree, but I just, it, I meant, um, she see, actually, she's still strong at that point. I mean, later on, towards the end of the episode, she's getting all letting him run, tell, do what she said he says. By the end, she's just running around with him. By the end, whereas I think, you know, if they had kept writing her as smart as they had previously, she would have been making some of the calls or saying, "Hey, let's try this" or whatever. 
And, but the same I, thing happens, when I'm arguing, the same thing happens to a lot of the companions. There's a point where they just have to hand it over to the doctor because yeah. it's not human anymore. Like, she's fighting the Eye of Harmony and the Master. I mean, there's a part where she is just completely out of her element. She has to follow the doctor. True. And that's true with a lot of the companions. I will not argue that with you. I will argue with you all day. Oh, I'll argue with you, just not that <laughs> I way. I like hope. No, don't you guys know Shag's my arch nemesis? We've been arch nemesis for years. Yes. Wait a minute. You Sorry, buddy. You replaced your arch nemesis? I, I have a few. <laughs> yeah, so we've we, been this we, way for a long time. We, we, we that all of us on this call are Shag's arch nemesis. We're actually all different incarnations of the same person, <laughs> breaking the rules of time. If we ever touch, Lidovich will destroy Skype. Hope, Hope's just the prettiest one. That makes Thomas the old one that no one's really sure is going to be able to pull it off. Merchants <laughs> wow. he's old doesn't have any little blue pills. Oh, I guess that makes me the fat, fat uh, one. So... Don't worry, I'm, I might have you beat on that. Uh, so we've talked a lot about the uh, female companion. What about? Uh, I like what about Asian Chang Li. He's crap. Oh, God. He, yeah, was he was horrible. That's a crap. Uh, no, Chang I, Li... I think he has better potential and was more interesting. They need a different actor. Die. That guy was terrible. He was terrible in this role, and he's been terrible in every single Big Finish audio he's been in. I'm sorry. Like, I wanted to give him a chance, and I kept trying, and then once I heard the Big Finish stuff, I'm like, I'm done. I'm out with oh, this Oh, God, dude. yeah. He was in the Big uh, Jealous stuff, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he was also in the, the, the one about the vault. He's terrible. Absolutely wretched. The character of itself is wretched, too. I, I disagree. I think... Uh, well, acting, yes. His acting is terrible. But I think the potential of what that character had and could have been in Doctor Who is so interesting. Because I think he would have been a much more fun, complicated companion. He comes from this troubled background. He has no family. He's a gang member. Like, he has the... He's kind of like the Asian, terrible, young Captain Jack Hartness. I mean, like, he has the potential <laughs> of being a really bad guy and transforming into being a hero. Because... I was actually going to say the, the Asian bad-acting ace. Yeah, I was going to go for that as well. <laughs> I mean, he has this really tragic background, and he's a little punk. And, I mean, I think he had the potential to have the more interesting narrative over Grace being that kind of romantic interest kind of storyline. So, sorry, what's his tragic background? Because none of that comes across in the... Yeah, he's just, he's this... just a punk. No, because well, no, the master says you have no family. We see two of his friends get murdered in the opening scene. You have to assume that if he's in a gang, that he probably lives a very troubled life. I mean, there's a lot of potential of storylines that could be there. There were some I mean, scenes. There were yeah. some scenes cut too about where he's an orphan searching for a father figure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of his stuff was pulled out of the script before filming, but saying, "Oh, he's got a really tragic background because the master throws a line at him." Gareth has more of a background than this guy does. Uh, I mean, the one thing I, I did sort of like in regard to him is that they kind of created that sort of power, that kind of like dark mirror idea where the master has a companion for a while running around with him. Hmm. And, but you're right. I mean, the, the actor is, is useless. And because he's given a, a void as a character, he becomes a void. And I just think his potential is better than Grace. Because Grace pretty much would turn into like the new Rose and blah 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 and stuff like that. But like to have that dichotomy between this like little punk kid 
and this really proper doctor and the doctor kind of leading him and bringing him on a better life, I think that'd be a much better narrative if, if this had continued into the long run. I just think it's telling that at the end of the movie, who does the doctor leave with? No one. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Now let's let's quit screwing around here. Let's get to the the, the meat of this shit, guys. The kiss and the half human stuff. Yes. The the, the kiss <laughs> I honestly don't care about. I don't, no, know. I don't care about that. Yeah. I think they're less about he goes, I know who I am, and it's the most natural, positive thing he could have done at that moment. I I do not have a problem with him getting a little bit of action. And did you see this? Did you see this in 1996? Yeah, I saw yes. it in 1996, the day after it was transmitted because we were out for dinner that night, so I spent the entire meal praying that the video records was working, and I was okay with it. I was yeah, too. Most, to people lost, most people lost their friggin' mind over it at the time. Really? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I remember not being happy in 96 when I saw it, but looking at it now, it, it's almost it's actually quite chaste, and it, you can almost gloss over it a bit. Now, isn't it the first time the Doctor ever kissed a companion? Yep. Okay, just making sure. Hey, he kissed Susan. Okay. Really? Not in that <laughs> way. <laughs> Not in that way, clearly. It, it wasn't a boom-de-boom-de-slap-de-slap kiss. A what? Is, is that another one of your cute patented terms? Punchy, punchy, run, run. What? I can't even remember what you said, but it's so random and brilliant. It's awesome. Boomity, boomity, slappity, slappity kiss. <laughs> you, you don't want to know what Thomas has in his bedroom. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> well, well, at the at the time Not that kiss. Now, woman. <laughs> at, at the time that kiss rocked the the fan world big yeah. time. Um. And you know it's funny you know, in, in 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 hindsight now somebody who watches this probably wouldn't even think twice about it because of all the tongue wagon there's been in the new series, and it really is as, as someone said it was very chaste. I mean you can see Paul Mann doesn't even per, you know split his lips at any point in the kisses, and uh, it's um it doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me back then either. But it, everyone lost their friggin' mind, and I have to say in hindsight you know he could have picked a better girl than Grace, but whatever. Well, at least he didn't do it. <laughs> Misty didn't do it with Chang Lee, so that's I'm kind of happy with that. So let's go ahead and move on to the. Is not changing into our hospital scrubs when she's about to do major surgery. Yeah, <laughs> that that is kind of worrying. Um, no, do we touch on the half human stuff though? Yeah, yeah. we're getting there, guys. Uh, What's that hope? What's that hope? Oh no! Sometimes not changing into scrubs is normal. My stepmother uh, used to be a surgeon. And sometimes when it's like that dire of a case, you just have to throw something on over your clothes and go. So that's actually quite normal. Okay, well, okay. let's go ahead and, since it's been brought up... You guys bash Grace a lot. The, the you guys are really mean to her. She wasn't a good actress. I will give her hope. I think that, that the one thing that she has... And it is that she has a great chemistry with McGann. I don't think she was a great actress. Daphne Ashford was. Um, but I think that the, the rapport she has with McGann I, almost, you know, pretty much elevates her a little bit higher than maybe if she was with another... Like, Tim Curry, I think, was one of the many, many people who had been, who had been seen. Oh, I'm sorry. He'd have been awful. But I'm just, I'm just saying, I think that that... that Chemistry works to elevate her. But 
I mean, as a character, like, like talking about her actual character, actress upside, putting any other actress in there, I think she was a good, strong character, and you guys are just killing her, man. We're killing a well, lot she of killed this. killed my doctor. Okay, character, yeah, he's good. She did kill the doctor. Um, I'm fine with the character, don't like the actress. I really like both the character and the actress. Um, I think it's a little bit of a shame that following this, because she had a sort of reasonably high-profile role in Deep Space Nine about the time as well, she got sort of labelled as science fiction actress and didn't really get to do much more for a while that was sort of big. She worked, she made a living, but never became big. And she's very nice in real life. I, I got to meet her last year, but I, I just meant in this role I didn't care for. Okay. Again, let's go ahead and head on to Elephant in the Room number two, the whole half-human doctor thing. I could care less again. <laughs> I got that he delivered that line as a joke. Paul McGann delivers that line as a gag. Um, that would work better. Except does the <laughs> That is a major plot point. Yeah, the master points it out. Yeah, it does become... His original delivery, you can write off as a joke. Yeah. But then it does become a plot point that you're like, oh, all right, then, so they weren't kidding. Yeah. Well, there are all sorts of things in the history of the writing of this special, including at one point the Doctor and the Master were half-brothers. Um, their father was a time lord called Ulysses, who was the son of Barusa. Um which is all sort of random mixing up of different elements but the idea which was then resurfaced in the Gallifrey Chronicles and was hinted at in a couple of um, Eighth Doctor books was that Ulysses a Time Lord was the Doctor's father but his, mo- his mother was a character called Penelope I want to say Penelope Gate who appeared in a couple of Virgin New Adventures and was a, a Victorian lady who happened to invent a time machine as you do and they got together and they're shown <laughs> they're shown together in the Gallifrey Chronicles at the very end of the Eighth Doctor run and that was where the half-human stuff came from. But oh. along the way, they destroyed Gallifrey twice, and they rewrote the Doctor's biodata a few times so that he lost his shadow and his heart was removed. And just a load of other random stuff that means that basically nothing you read is true. Oh, nothing I've just finished Doctor. my tea. I think I'm going to build a time machine. Well, that's pretty much it, except she was a really awesome character. If you ever get the chance to read the novel, uh, The Room With No Doors, read it. It's amazing. I was going to say, didn't H.G. Wells do that in Time After Time? Yeah, shut your mouth, Thomas. It happens. <laughs> Hortensia Georgina Wells. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, we're just overlooking the whole fact that it might have been just a throwaway line to I mean, sort of throw... I, was, I think when I originally first watched it, I took it as um, when the Master was stealing his lives... He just took the human side of him. I know it was never explained, but that's how I just kind of took it the first time. I was like, oh, look, the Master kind of failed, and then the Master died. He must have killed his human side, because you can't kill a Time Lord. That's just how I always took it when I first watched it. Hmm. Makes sense. But I've, uh, I just make up stuff when I don't have explanations. I'm like, okay, this happened. <laughs> I think my first time through, I just didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah. Yeah sort of glossed over well one over my head I think the half human stuff was more controversial than the kissing yeah probably when when anyone with a pair of tits who walks across the TARDIS threshold either wants to shag the doctor or he wants to shag her frankly a very chaste kiss in the middle of a a, a rather organic high is nothing yeah they um, there was all kinds of arguments about whether it was just this particular incarnation that was half human or had the doctor always been half human 
Um, it was a bit, as Stephen mentioned, there's a big, big deal in the books about it. Uh, it's uh, it, it caused a big, big stir, and uh, to this day, I don't know that it's it's never really sat well with me. Uh, it, conceptually, it's like, oh, that's interesting, but no, don't like it. Well, and does it in any way? Could it in any way tie into that? Uh, oh, what is it? The last episode where Rose goes off to the pocket universe. Raisin? Yeah. No, 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 no. That <laughs> doctor it doesn't even exist. That ten minutes doesn't exist. Okay. Just like, Super, just like Superman 4. <laughs> la, 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 not listening, not listening. Okay, well then, they disregard yeah. what I said. I, I never wonder how we get from the master being sucked into the Eye of Harmony to uh, John Sims' master in Utopia. Like, I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the fact that apparently the Doctor keeps an actual black hole in his TARDIS. <laughs> Okay, well, I, 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 this one has been debated a million times also. Um, where most of the fans kind of got to was that the Eye of Harmony inside the TARDIS is actually sort of like a Green Lantern ring. It, it, it's connect, well, it's connected to the main Eye yeah. of Harmony on Gallifrey, but it's not the Eye of Harmony. So it's more like a that's, Green Lantern battery. That's what I meant, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 honestly, the idea of having a black hole at the heart of the TARDIS isn't that crazy. I mean, it's... well, haven't they used that sort of concept for uh, powering? You know, in Star Trek: The Next Generation, they used that for the powering of the Romulan warships. That they were powered by a, a, a small quantum singularity, which is essentially a small black hole. So, um, yeah, I mean, the TARDIS is dimensionally transcendental. It's as big as the universe it's in. So yeah, black hole, and. and the, the time or technology, the whole of the thing about uh, time travel is based on when they harness the power of a black hole, which is how they lost Amiga. So it, it holds up quite well, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with Eye Harmony. It, and it, other than it looked a little 90s uh, foam rubber, it, it looked pretty cool. I love that room. That room is absolutely mm. gorgeous. Yeah. Although it's Frankly, I'd, rather the the, I'd rather see more of the inside of this TARDIS than the TARDIS we saw in uh, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Mm. <laughs> totally agree. And this one has fun with the idea of the tires being massive. I'm, I love the gag with the random policeman on the bike. Yeah. Really? <laughs> riding in, riding Just, especially his hilariously dubbed live, I've got no brakes! As he goes in. See, I, I unfortunately, I found up, that kind of... Back, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I found that kind of... I, found yeah, that I would have loved if in a random episode of New Who they just came across a traffic cop. <laughs> like a skeleton in traffic cop clothing. Right <laughs> again. So, um. Wait, Sean, you, you, you have a point. What were you going to say, Sean? Well, I was just going to say I found that to be. Yeah, I found that to be another them playing to the American audience. And it, I found the humor very American. It's You're like, oh, I'm traveling into this big little, this little box and it's bigger in the inside and I'm turning around and coming out. Oh, and it just I think it was the hard. best way, though, to not have uh, Grace do a repeat of what Lee did because Lee already did the whole walk-around scene. Mm-hmm. That saved us from Grace having to do a walk-around scene to be like, oh, it's bigger on the inside. I'll give you that. And you've got to do that because um, it took them nearly eight years to do the shot they wanted to do in Rose, which was have the 
camera go all the way around the TARDIS, then through the front door into the TARDIS interior in one smooth shot. There was no, there was no way they were going to do that in 96. So you've just got to keep reminding everyone that it's bigger on the inside without having people go, mind, but Doctor, this room, it is much bigger on the inside than it would appear to be from its rather small outside, as if there was some sort of slightly posh Russell Brand. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Now, what two, two phrases you never expect to hear together Posh and Russell Brand yeah, sure. <laughs> Shag you had something you wanted to mention well I was going to bring up something you started us on Sean um, the Christian themes in the story I mean the the entire reg- regeneration resurrection uh, the shroud the crown of thorns I mean mm-hmm. there's so much in the original script actually had the master going after um, a millennial star that comes every two th- 2,000 years I mean there's, there's a ton of Christian themes throughout the story and I don't get it. I don't I, I don't know yeah, why they felt that was important. Thorns, but I always called up the S and M scene. Well it also, it also had a lot to do with the uh, I mentioned the whole clockwork orange thing with yeah. the, him having to keep the eyes open so he didn't blink so he could get the eye of so he could suck out his regenerations or whatever through the eye of harmony. So don't yeah, blink. I guess a weeping angel showed up. Oh good lord. That would have been bad. <laughs> I mean, that would have been actually good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not the first time that a, you know, a, a classic character has been given all this Christ imagery. You know, mm-hmm. Superman gets it every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Oh, Superman Returns was replete. Yeah. And and even the new Man of Steel movie had that oh, scene yeah. in the in the oh. in the mall or in the in the church with the. Uh, the Jesus with the red cloak, so, yeah. I missed that. But don't, don't <laughs> feel bad. So, yeah, and, and, well, even, there was even some religious sort of uh, goings-on in the episode we covered last time with the demons. I mean, them being this possible, uh, you know, there, there was religious connotations put, up, put forth there. So, Doctor Who's not doesn't usually deal with religious imagery and religious topics, but this time it just seemed to be a bit more overt and a bit more, you know, in your face, I guess. Well, a quick uh, Easter egg for those of you that really like the S&M scene. Uh, when Eric Roberts <laughs> keeps throwing his face back and forth, if you freeze frame during that scene, um, you actually will see Paul McGann in the Eric Roberts costume. Oh, cool. Because yeah. he switches between it and he gets the long hair and everything at certain points. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. It's obviously cool. had them like that. Yeah. And, uh... Anyway. <laughs> I just liked um, all of the mirror stuff that had going on. What was that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, do you want to go? Oh. Um, I, just, I was just saying I liked all of the mirror stuff they had going. Uh, I thought that was kind of funky. Where you had hit the rebirths kind of happening at the same time and obviously... He goes to a place with mirrors, mm-hmm. and then the first meeting of the Doctor, they're both kind of on the same side of the screen, and I, I like that. Sorry, no the the regeneration the regen- regeneration of the Doctor and the Master at the same time was done exceptionally well. In fact, I, I yeah. would say the first thirty minutes of the movie up to that scene where where Paul McGann comes down like a broken marionette in front of all the mirrors, that first thirty minutes is really really good. Like if you stop there, I'm good. I'm done. I really, like, day. I really like the next bit where Paul McGann's looking for something to wear. Uh, Eric Roberts is working out who the marshal's working out with the body that he's just in, gone into. And um, 
the Asian child is going through the bag of belongings <laughs> and they're all learning things about yeah. themselves and each other. I think that's a really well done montage. Mm-hmm. I like the music in the background of it, but did you notice all of the kind of little things that were relating to uh, Tom yeah. Baker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they Jelly definitely. Babies. I I, th- I think that was I think that was pretty much for the American audiences as well, because if there are American audiences, they're going to know Doctor Who from the guy who wears the scarves and has the jelly babies. I think... The hat was there, too. Yeah, the hat was there. Um, Oh, go on. I I had a thought, and I've lost it. Well, along the same lines about Tom Baker, apparently during the development of this story, there was actually discussion about not having Sylvester McCoy, but having the the, the previous Doctor be Tom Baker. Uh, to, to appeal to the American audiences. Thank goodness they flushed that. But at some point, some executive thought, no, no, the doctor's got to be Tom Baker because that's who people know. Most likely Siegel because Siegel was a uh, major who-nut. Actually, I think he's one of the ones that fought for Sylvester McCoy. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, it's oh, like, oh, yeah, okay, it's yeah, him yeah. who gotcha. said, no, we have to have McCoy. Gotcha. Okay, I think I like him. <laughs> <laughs> so, McCoy now looks and says, I shouldn't so, have been there. It should have been McGann from the start, but I'm really glad he was, because I think the, the sort of five minutes or so screen time we get is superb. It's like, wow, really love that McCoy. Yeah. You can watch that knowing the stuff, the way the character went in the novels, which he read some of, and you can see there's a very clear line through those to get to this Doctor. There's, and I love a, it. There's a great bit where the, the scene where Sylvester McCoy gets shot was one of the last scenes, uh, actually, I guess it was the last scene McCoy filmed, and they filmed it at like 5 in the morning, and Paul McGann was actually on set to watch, to, to, for, for McCoy's last filming, and, um, you know, McCoy walks over and says, it's all yours now, but, like, what a class act, you know, McGann yeah. was to be there at 5 in the morning, to be there for Sylvester McCoy's last scene as the doctor, and he's like, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember the one thing that I wanted to talk about, and this was what... Uh, I really enjoyed one of the things I really enjoyed about this was the uh, music for it. It was different from the uh, the typical music, and it took the theme from. But the uh, composer for most of the music was <laughs> was was John Debney, I think his name, and he actually yeah. uh, kind of came to fame with uh, doing the soundtrack for the Iron Man two movie. So I actually kind of enjoyed the music for the uh, for the show, and it actually had uh, kind of a cinematic quality to it. So I don't know what you guys thought about the. About do you know what he did after that, though? No, what did he do? He did the Justice League TV pilot. Oh, <laughs> my God. Oh, yeah. oh. well, okay. Well, oh, come on. Sure. Miguel Ferreira did the Justice League TV movie pilot. He's still awesome. I know. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, he does <laughs> David Ogden Stiers, man. True. The only so, problem with David Ogden Stiers' Martian Manhunter is the Martian Manhunter should never have a god. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can change his shape. Well, he, it, it was obvious well, uh, that that's... Uh, that's that Styers had read the read some of the comics and knew the character he was playing, and he did his and he did do I think a credible version of that character. It's just that the fact that he looked like he had ate far too many of those Oreos. Okay, okay, Sean. To answer your actual question and not talk about Justice League, which I could do all day as well. Oh, of course. But um, I, I liked it so much. I actually bought it. I have it on CD. Uh, I love the soundtrack for this. Awesome. Before we got uh, the Murray Gold stuff, I listened to this thing over and over and over. Mm. Yeah. However, I I really liked it at the time, and I I especially like that bit that chimes underneath the final bits of the Doctor's narration before you get the middle eight of the theme. 
um, because the way the theme is for this is you basically get the da 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 da, da which leads into the main Doctor Who theme as opposed to being the middle. I love that bit with the orchestra just sort of really building up to it. It's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then some bastard plays the timpanis and it just sounds massively out of place when there's a drum kit going off at the same time. It's like, no. You're a whiny little bitch. It sounds good, man. <laughs> um, the title sequence, though. Um, like yeah. most of the world, you all watched the uh, Olympic opening ceremony last year. I take it. Okay. So there was an Olympic opening such... ceremony. There was an Olympics. Yeah. It was the... an amazing Olympic opening ceremony. Yeah. But Doctor Who played a part in it, um, a very brief part. If you watched the live broadcast, all you would have heard is during one of the guitar solos in Bohemian Rhapsody, there was a TARDIS noise. However, they re-edited it what was being shown so you could see what was being projected in the middle of the arena at the time which was the TARDIS in flight from the title sequence of this movie because it moves just right for the right amount of time the is, that where, that is that where David Tennant carries the torch in then or <laughs> because that episode never happened either <laughs> it, it slipped through the cracks of time yeah we, somebody opened the Eye of Harmony and erased it from another the episode that I actually really like what how do I kick her off the course? Oh, Sweetie, you are so no, broken. Please. No wonder you're my arch nemesis. You are so mean today. Okay, well, be- you talked to her as well. All right, well, before this devolves into all of us piling on <laughs> hope and just... I got three hours. Oh, that just stopped three that, That's not good. <laughs> yeah, you well, that too. There, buddy. Um, let's go ahead. Hope had an, an interesting question that she wanted to pose to the panel uh, about the actual final regeneration or uh, the regeneration of... Uh, Paul McGann's Doctor to the Ninth Doctor. And uh, do you want to go ahead and uh, throw out some theories of what you thought happened to cause the Eighth Doctor to die, Hope? I, I, I wanted to hear what you guys said first. Uh, okay. Said first, because I kind of have an idea that is kind of canon, but I'm not sure, and I just wanted to generally hear what everybody thought would cause him to regenerate. Okay, anyone? Pop, pop, pop rocks and coke. That works. <laughs> Um, I can actually tell you about a regeneration story that was fully licensed by the BBC and Russ Davis and was came like this close to being produced. All right. Well, if anyone else has any ideas, go ahead and uh, throw them out, and then we'll go to Steve. I have, I have one that ahead, is Dave. hopefully completely wrong. That he didn't regenerate; he just got really old and turned into John Hurt. I'm really hoping that's not what's happened, but it's a possibility. Mm. Um, or, of course. There's the whole where he just dies when he pushes the magic button that sucked everything into the time lock thing. Moment. Yeah. That, See, that's the only other thing I can think of. That's the one I like most too because if um, if you read the Doctor Who the Forgotten series, it really heavy-handedly hints towards that. Um, Maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you guys familiar with the Forgotten comic series? Oh, hell to the yeah, it's good. It's, it's so amazing. Good. I've got the hardcover version, and oh, uh, yeah. It's been a while since I read it, but it was great. But that's that's kind of the one I sort of fall into. That because like he had to steal that object to in the time war, and it kind of makes sense, you know. Like someone has to push the button, it wipes everything out, and there's probably a lot of residual energy that was burned off, through, and just kind of hit him in the process, and he regenerated. Because it kind of falls in line with Eccleston's character too, that to give him that kind of haunted, ex, like kind of wounded soldier sort of vibe that he has in the beginning of Rose and the beginning of his run. Okay, anyone else anyone? before Stephen goes? 
you know, the death of the Doctor just a way to keep the show going with a new actor. So if, if they tell me, if they don't tell me, I'm cool with it as long as I get to keep seeing more of it. Okay. <laughs> but to be the only Doctor that doesn't have an explanation. And still, at the end of the day, I don't care. Well, and that's kind of the crappy. <laughs> that's kind of the crappy thing about this Doctor is this is his only real, you know, television televised filmed role. I mean, he's done obviously more, which we'll get to later. But yeah, it's kind of disappointing that if if you don't know him from his ancillary stuff, this is all you know about the Doctor. So, kind George of Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead, Stephen. What what? Uh, Okay, so consider this a preview for um, what Shag and I are going to be doing in private later. (laughs) (laughs) So so cover your eyes and ears. You can have the look at least. I need to cover my soul. (laughs) As I I think most people are aware, there has been an official magazine, Doctor Who magazine, published for 35, getting on for 40 years, something like that, 35 years, and it's had every month a comic strip, and during the McGann era, the comic strips were incredibly good. Like, ridiculously good. I'm going to get into more detail of this on the uh, special show we're doing. The last story in that was a story called The Flood, and it dealt with the Cybermen uh, invading Earth. And it was a really, really good story. I read it last night in bed. Um, but the original idea, because Rusty Davis... not there. <laughs> I missed you. Because Rusty Davis was such a big fan of the comics, as they got closer and closer to March 2005, he said to Clayton Hickman and the team at Doctor Who magazine, you guys can regenerate the Eighth Doctor. You guys can write the story that has him turn into Christopher Eccleston. And so the original idea was the flood would end with the regeneration. He would sacrifice his Eighth Life to defeat the Cybermen, and then he'd be the Ninth Doctor. But there were some hitches. One was that they weren't allowed to show the Ninth Doctor with the current comic strip companion, a lady called Destry. It had to be the Ninth Doctor and Rose, so there was synergy with what was happening on telly. They couldn't even have him regenerate, look up and see Destry, and then there'd be a period of time missing when between that and the start of Rose, so it had to be that. The, the Protracted Edition actually has the pencils of the final panels in, where he's Christopher Eccleston, and damn, it looks good, but they eventually ended, opted to go with almost like the end of Survival, which is the Doctor and the Companion walking off into the sunset, rather than regenerating, because they just couldn't work out where they, they didn't want to kill Destry, didn't feel it was the right ending for her, but they couldn't work out a way of removing her from the story. So yeah, Doctor Who magazine were going to regenerate the Doctor, and that would have made things very different. Hmm. All right, then. Well, do we have any final thoughts that we want to say about the uh, show in general? I got a couple quick things. Um, first of all, uh, as a total nerd, uh, I grew up with the Doctor Who technical manual. So I was very excited to see they actually built uh, all the pieces from his uh, toolkit, and Grace got to smash the Doctor across the face with one of them. That made me very excited. Um, I was watching the little pop-up stuff. little It's almost like pop-up videos. Um on the Doctor Who TV movie DVD. And if you read those, it really sounds like Eric Roberts was a D-bag on set, which really? makes me happy, because that's kind of how I feel he is in every movie. So. Yeah. And uh, last thought was, like wow. Choice? What's that? Wasn't he like the third or fourth choice? Probably 57th. But um, And last is, those guys just, you know, when, when it turned midnight on 1999... They were a lot more calm than I was. I was a little more worried about the whole Y2K thing than they seemed to be. So I'm just saying. Oh, you and you noticed that it's midnight at the same point around the entire world. <laughs> I didn't even pick that up. That's a great point. Uh, when they do the whole Mega Man thing. 
Sorry. Lost me. No, all Oops. of the cities at the same time, they all kind of disappear like Mega Man does. It's all kind of teleporty whenever the <laughs> world is being destroyed. <laughs> See, um, the thing I want to talk about a little bit is the lack of the Sonic Screwdriver, because it's such a crutch in the new series. Like, they they can't get through pretty much any storyline in the new series without the Sonic Screwdriver, and it's not really there at all in the movie until the very end, when he's using it to fix the TARDIS, which I thought was pretty darn cool. He locked the box at the start with it. Well, yeah, yeah but, like, it's not a crush <laughs> on the storyline, so, like, I, I think that right there is what makes this... That, that's one, to me, one of the highlights of the writing in this movie, opposed to some of the stuff in the new series... Because, I mean, you have Matt Smith, like, crouching on the ground, like, with a sonic screwdriver trying to keep a stone door from open, uh, closing, when I feel like Paul McGann's doctor would be like, let's find something to prop this door open and physically do it, instead of pointing this tiny stick at it. Well, remember, Hope, I mean, John Nathan Turner, who was the producer of Note, uh, through the Davison era, the Colin well, Baker the era. Hmm? Yeah, pretty much from the, the 80s. 80- from 1980s on to the end of the classic series, uh, he hated the sonic screwdriver and very quickly in the Peter Davison era wrote it out. Had it destroyed. So for most of Davison, for all of Colin Baker, for all of McCoy, they'd never used the sonic screwdriver. So having it there was more of a, a once again, another nod because it was a Tom Bakerism. And Tom Baker was the one doctor most uh, most Americans were familiar with. But look at it at it from someone who's a new Whovian like me, because I don't know anything from the old stuff. And this is yeah, but you, you got to look at it in the context of when it was aired. But and you it can't was aired it's crutch now. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a crutch. I mean, Russell T. Day, it's it's the magic wishing stick. And, and that's what I'm I'm talking about right now is because at. At the point that he was able to solve pretty much this entire thing without a sonic screwdriver to a new Whovian, that's kind of unheard of, because I can't think of one story in New Who where they didn't have the sonic screwdriver save the day at some point. Blink. Well, yeah, well, you know. But <laughs> that's because I'm, Sally Sparrow is awesome! Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, for I, I think for someone like me who's not familiar with anything from old Who, is just, that's really damn cool. <laughs> I, 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 get, like, I like seeing this doctor use his head and get through this without having a tiny wishing stick. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I, even though you're looking at it from you know the forward knowledge past, I, I totally see what you mean. It is refreshing to see the doctor go hands-free, uh, as uh, David Tennant called it in Time Crash. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I like the fact, though this is bring up the thing, I like the fact that McGann was very much an active doctor. He's running around. He's doing stuff. He's he rocks you know, the uh, the motorcycle better than Smith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Smith he tried to kill himself. So ridiculous on that damn motorcycle. But of course they were going up the side of a freaking building. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I like that. That wig though. Oh my gosh. I, I would. I, I could only hope that if the if it had gone to series, that in time that wig would look better. Because it looks god awful in rewatching that was a it. Wig? Yeah, I it was a wig. That was it was hair. It was put together in a rush because Paul McGann cut his hair fairly um, for the role he filmed previous to this, 
uh, but didn't it, that wasn't communicated to the team in Vancouver, so they literally had no time at all to source a wig so they could start filming because he turned up with looking like he does in Alien Three. Oh boy, you know, yeah. you know something sad. <coughs> you mean looks like Eccleston? Anyway, something sad. You know, right around uh, right around this time point in time, Paul McGann's hair, pretty much exactly what I look like. Yeah, and, I, and it wasn't a wig either, so, yeah, that's horrible. Did yours frizz out in the rain like his Oh, did? dear lord, it did. Uh, I and they look like twins in that little moment. Mm. Right, they looked really bad, that last <laughs> they look, They should have reshot that. They look like that. brother and sister. Like, yeah. that's kind of why I can't get behind Grace and the Doctor in this line romantically, because they look very similar. They have similar skin uh, colorations and very similar complexions, facial shapes. I mean, they look like they could be brother and sister. You know, I've always been one of these guys who likes a companion. Who likes brothers and sisters together? You're no, 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 no. <laughs> likes a companion who is more on the level with the Doctor and can give him a little resistance. Which is why I'd almost say I would be interested in seeing a Doctor Grace, you know couple of episodes if this this thing had gone to the series although I kind of imagine that Grace would eventually go okay that was a rebound I got that out of my system let's go have some adventures well but when you say on the same level as the doctor are you saying intelligence because I would argue like Amy Pond's on the same level as the doctor in that she could tell him what to do that in, in, from an authority point of view they're on the same level maybe not intelligence though so are you I, saying I are you talking the Liz Shaw intelligence level that I think that in terms of intelligence, it's established, I think, very clearly that Grace is very, very smart. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's very little in the back half of the movie where she becomes ditzy, you know, writer girl that um, supports that. But that first half where we see her in her job, in her element, where she is really good at her job and she knows what she's doing. I, I like that kind of companion. I like a companion. That's why I, I refer to her as Liz Shaw. Yeah, I like Grace in the first half, but uh, I can't take her. I really can't take her in the second half. But she's just like any other companion out there. Oh, then Shag. Nah, Amy never stopped. Amy never stopped being cool. Amy was complete. Did the, pretty much the exact same thing in the Beast Below. Oh, cool! Well, in, the, in her second episode. I mean, what's the difference between Amy and the Beast Below being completely out of her element and Grace being completely out of her element right here? Or Rose being out of her element, or Martha, or Donna, or any of them. They all reacted the exact same way as Grace. We're not Grace. talking about the special little snowflake. No. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about something, because I feel like we've already talked about well, this. What, um, what a, Chad didn't answer my question. I can't answer it, because i got to think about it. Okay. You might be right, but it hurts. So, it hurts. So he'll get you, back to the, be, the best five, you're going to get is the best you're going to get out of me is you might be right. I'm not sure. Okay, because go ahead. There Steven. is no difference. They all react to the exact same way as anyone would. Go ahead, Stephen. Um, I want to talk about something, which is um, I first uh, watched this by not watching it. I read it. <laughs> I, I I was a very bad boy, and I bought the novelization and read it before this came on to the TV screens because for some reason the novelization was on sale like two weeks before this was. 
Um, and I was too excited by all those trailers where the voiceover goes, he's back and it's about time. Get right. it? Because he's a time traveller and he's been away for a long time. So what we've done is a pun. Isn't it brilliant? Um, but the, the novel as novelizations always are based on an earlier version of the shooting strip rather than what actually we saw on television. Uh, it was written by Gary Russell, um, a familiar name if you're, you've ever explored the expanded universes. He was uh, one of the founders of Big Finish. He was uh, an author, editor of Doctor Who magazine. He wrote numerous Doctor Who novels. One of the things that came across well in the novel, when I saw it on the screen, I went, what was the character of Gareth? <laughs> who actually got a second name in the novel. Which I always found weird. If doctor, the doctor sees someone who he recognises is going to be really big, he wouldn't just go, ah, oh, all right, gas me, old mate. He'd go, ah, oh, it's Gareth Mook Earthquake Stopper. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Was that his last name of the book? <laughs> no, it's been a long time since I've read it. But they, 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 I love they, Shut up! I changed my mind. I want to see the Eighth Doctor travel with Gareth Earthquake Stopper. That's <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm getting to. The, the, the bit where he looks into the way he goes, ah, yes, you should answer the second question on your turn, and he goes, oh, yes, he'll do this to stop earthquakes, um, or whatever it was that he does, is because it's revealed that he can look into someone's timeline. And so he'll meet someone. And because he's a Time Lord and his interesting relationship with time, he'll see their life forwards and backwards from the point that he meets them. And it was really well done in the book. And I guess either because they couldn't find a way of visually doing it or it slowed the plot down too much, it just got reduced to this half scene where you could tell it got butchered quite a lot. Because it really serves no purpose at all yeah. without that explanation. Well, but well, but that would have been a really cool... A really no. different the doctor to do to when he meets someone is he can see forward and backwards in their life. You know, he, he lands on a planet, the first person he meets, he sees them dying horribly to a Dalek exterminator ray, or he sees a Cyberman Cyberman in the future and realizes they're gonna be cyber converted. Could have been a really interesting source of drama for him. But I think it comes across. Because like even I, I didn't read the book, but I, I mean I own it, but I didn't read it at the time, and I watched it in between the Gareth scene and where where not Rose, uh Grace says Doctor, can you tell me about my, my future? And the doctor doesn't tell her. And he says, Grace, you're going to do great things. I think it's there. You, you get this feeling for that. D am I the only one who picked up on it? Did anyone else pick up on the Let's fact that you can see other people's timeline? At the very oh. end where he's saying goodbye to the Asian child. And he says, remember, <laughs> years from now, don't do that. Thing. <laughs> don't be he here says, next year. He says, don't be here next Christmas. Go away yeah. and do something else. Mm -hmm. By the yeah. way, if he actually points out we're not just being hideously racist every time we refer to him as the Asian child, it's an actual line from the thing. Yeah. If nobody's watched this, they're probably <laughs> just joking about this and going, what are they? Oh, uh, I get it. The non-Caucasian actor just gets referred to as the, <laughs> as the Asian child. Right. Well, screw you, racist two true freaks. It's all Eric Roberts' fault. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be an interesting but kind of hard and dangerous power if the Doctor still had that because, you know, it takes someone that's like that Smith. You know, he's the equivalent of a baby giraffe. He doesn't really think stuff through. And uh, <laughs> that's how people describe him as the baby giraffe of Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm always okay. Well, we'll wait till we get to a Matt Smith episode to bring my my theory about why he's that. But um, imagine like he just like walks up to a random person, just like one of us, and be like, "Oh, you shouldn't be here." Blah blah blah. Just kind of just rattling off, not really thinking about it. But then, wouldn't it be interesting if you realized? Oh God! I should have never told him that, and it ends up changing history just because you know he's trying to speak impulsive, and he realizes that he just changed a fixed point. I think that'd be an interesting but really hard to write plot point, but it'd be really cool. 
Well, he obviously yeah. did that here. He must have answered question three because we don't have his freaking earthquake detecting thing. It's 2010. <laughs> it should have been here. We're 2013. He's already three years behind. I think Dave's pretty pissed about this. Yeah. Right. What do you guys think about that? I totally agree. I think it would have been really cool. I think as a character, he would have had to learn to temper his impulsiveness, as you said, and, and, and shut his mouth more often than not because he was going to spill the beans too much. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, since we're getting to about the hour and a half mark, do we have any uh, final thoughts on the show? Go around? I think I like I everybody else. <laughs> Apparently, size matters is the same on Gallifrey as it is on Earth. Oh, boy. I would love to see that TARDIS or something similar to it come back. I love seeing the human influences on the TARDIS because I really can't stand Matt Smith's current TARDIS. Totally agree. The Jules Verne TARDIS is the mm. best. It, it, was a nice, it was a nice design. Uh, I, love- I like because he's so close with humans. It's such, it feels like very alien and human at the exact same time. And it's it feels like something the doctor would travel in, like not what Smith is currently in now, which just sort of feels so, I guess foreign. But maybe it's also because it's I'm like a junk stuff. shop in there. It's retro. Yeah. Though the one thing I do like about Smith's TARDIS is all the plates that's going around the top. Top is all the new Who companions in uh, Gallifreyans. It's their name. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Which I so thought does he have like a, the equivalent of the Stanley Cup somewhere in the TARDIS? <laughs> the, the name of all his classic companions written around it. That's in the new cloister room. <laughs> Can we see how terrible cloister room feels like? Oh god, I hate that word. Hmm. See, the thing problem is, with is that moist the cloister as well. is oh, supposed to be this oh, little passageway. I think of a vagina. It's a cloister. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. Okay. To, to answer to answer Sean's original question and get this a little bit back on track, uh, Paul McGann, incredible in the role. Love the costume. Love the TARDIS. The story was weak. Quick question for you, uh, for you guys, because I won't be able to sit around for you afterwards. Does Grace ever come back in any of anything? No. Okay. So like. Well, yeah, what, I'm well, sorry. Comic was, strip. Comic strip. Yeah. Grace okay. and sure and Chang Lee were. Property. This is why it didn't come out in America for so long. Uh, Grace and Chang Lee were the property of Universal Pictures, oh. who um, co-produced the movie. So they couldn't get BBC owns everything else, and BBC and them couldn't get together. So yes, yeah, so I, I would pick, imagine that they dropped down a hole forever and were never seen up again. Um, Grace <laughs> appeared a couple of times in the. Doctor Who magazine comic strips. Um, once as a sort of full-on guest star in the story, once as a cameo. Um, no, there's been no definitive reason put out for this. The best suggestion I've seen is that uh, a merchandising deal existed whereby she could be used in the comics at about the same time uh, or on an ongoing basis, and they just sort of exercised that right. There was a novel called Vampire Science, which was supposed to feature Grace in the opening chapter. And the, the doctor going back to San Francisco a few years later to see how things were, uh, but and it was written and then had to be changed because they couldn't get the rights, so it then became another character. And Daphne Ooh. Ashbrooks appeared in some of the Big Finish audios, but as other characters, different characters, yeah. Okay. okay. Hmm. All right. Well, anyone else have any uh, last thoughts? Um, um, go ahead, Stephen. 
this was the first Doctor Who I saw live on transmission. Um, no, you and... didn't. You were at the dinner. Ah, good point. Fine, within What's... 24 hours That's of transmission. <laughs> I remember exactly um, where I was when I saw it. Why? Well, I was the telly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not like you were going, well, I was walking Snowden at the time. I was just stopped to tune into Doctor Who. Um, well, I had my I had my iPhone with me. No, uh, <laughs> is that not funny? No, <laughs> no. That's you why you iPhone in 1996. Go, <laughs> yeah. Stephen. All right, Stephen. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You all done that? Continue. It's your own time. You're wasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. That alone ensures this will have a soft spot in my heart. Um, when I saw it again for the first time in about a decade last year when I bought the Regenerations, not Regenerations, the, the, the remastered box set this was on, um, I was quite astounded as to how bad Eric Roberts was, how bad Yuji So was, how bad some of the effects were. Those, those asteroids in the title sequence, my God, they're, they're <laughs> really, really bad. But there's a lot to like in this. McGann and Ashbrook, I think, are fantastic together. We'd love to have seen more of them. I think Jeffrey Sachs' direction was superb. There's so many well-done shots. Like, you know, the, the random bit with the fish head getting chopped is such a wonderful little touch. Or the way the camera moves around the room when Bruce is snoring. And some of the little incidental details, like Bruce's wife, for instance, um, really make me like this. However, in the bigger picture, I'm very glad we didn't get anything more of this type of Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, it would have gone from, because uh, this was done by the unit for the Fox movie unit. It would have gone from the Fox movie unit to the Fox series unit. Um, and it was Universal, Fox. It wasn't produced by Fox. It was, it was a, it was a universal VBC co-production. Yep. But the thing is, is that a lot of the, the cuts that you mentioned were made were made at the behest of the Fox movie unit. Originally, if I remember correctly, they were uh, guaranteed four weeks of filming, which is one more than most standard TV movies, but they just nickeled and dimed them to death. And um, we would have, what, it, what would have resulted if this had gone to series is something I think a lot different from what we saw in the TV movie. Well, one of the plans was they wanted to remake classic Doctor Who stories uh, with McGann. Not, not correct as far as I heard. It, that was that was right, a misconception because of the Bible. The the Bible that was created by, what what was the name of the, the writer? Had uh, made references. The, the, not, not, not the writer of the TV movie. There was another writer but was who it got Philip fired C. from the project. No, it was the guy who um, they accepted. I can't think of his name. Jonathan somebody. Um, but basically an American writer that they that they had Pritzigal had to accept as a writer to keep because Universal was said, in- "Well, we have nothing for him. Yeah. Let him do it." And he made references in the Bible to classic stories. Has in a has a sample of the type of stories that could be told. They weren't intending on ever uh, remaking classic series. Okay, uh, serials. Mm-hmm. But I think that what we would have gotten is something a lot different from what this movie was. This movie is, like I said, if judged on its own has a an episode of Doctor Who. It's kind of a mediocre story, but serviceable. Judged as a pilot, it fails. Fails big. 
And it's because it, I think part of the problem is it, it's this weird amalgam which requires a knowledge of the property that most Americans did not have in 1996. It, and yet they, they futz around with a lot of the fiddly bits and just twist mm-hmm. things around. Hey, the doctor's half human. Hey, the Eye of Harmony is actually inside the TARDIS. Hey, you know, all this, this stuff. Hey, the Daleks are apparently the allies of the, of the time. Oh, now. don't, don't get me started on the fucking Daleks in this. <laughs> we are the Daleks! We will exterminate you! Oh, they had yeah, the John wrong Lee, John voices. Thank they, re- you. they were made to re-record them. They had the Daleks sounding like Daleks. They were made to re-record them. And I hate the Daleks in that. And plus, you know, if it actually were uh, you know, brought to series by Fox... Everyone knows it'd be cancelled after four episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe not yeah. necessarily. Looks, Everybody talks like about... sci-fi. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Everybody Look how good that that. Uh, Firefly. Yeah, Firefly yes, and uh, what's its name? The Lone like, Gunman. It's the height of the X Files. That's this right. Was like, well, what Keep in mind, they kept the X Files for three years while it was doing substandard ratings because they believed in it. It's not. Fox gets a really bad rep just because of Firefly. And the fact is, they're, they, when they were behind a science fiction project, they let it last long until it found its audience. Mm. That, that, that's an aside. All right. Yeah. Well, if, if everyone – is everyone good about – has everyone got their opinions out? I'm certain Steve – I love Eric now. Roberts in it. Sorry to everybody else. <laughs> I, okay. What the uh, hell? Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I state – I won't state it as strongly as Chris. I don't think he was that terrible. Given uh, what he was given. Like oh, he was given he's he's playing man. a Batman villain. He's, he's not playing the master. He's pretty good as Bruce. Okay, yeah, fine. He's good half. as Bruce. I'll give you that. The fine. first half, when he's doing the, 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 when he's doing the I'm disguised as Bruce thing, I'm fine with. No. It's when the second no, he puts he's on the robe and becomes... Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. Gay Liberace. That line, or I, I mean, always dress for the occasion. It's just... That, like I said, it's just that little mincing little kind of flounce he does at the very end of that line. I'm going to steal all your that. lives, darling. Okay. <laughs> when, when you, you say he's okay when he's in a... No, that's where you get the, the Asian child. You get all that crap. He's... I'm talking about again, he's... But he is that the when he's actually actor or the when script he's given no, no, no. I'm arguing with Thomas now because Thomas is up to the point where he reveals himself. He, he's good. I, I totally agree. When he was Bruce, the, the the EMT or whatever, he's fine. But the minute that snake goes down his throat, f- get him off the freaking movie. He's terrible. Period. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but at least like, you can't beat the creepiness of him peeling off his own fingernail and then flicking it. Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't have to speak to Gold member. He, he could have picked off the fingernail without ever speaking. I'd have been okay with that. At least they back it up, saying that he's learning the body. Yeah, and like I said, it is is are all those terrible lines the Asian child, and you may call me master. Is that the fault of of the actor or the fault of the script? Both. <laughs> it's a bad script, but know. he delivered it wretchedly. I'm not. I don't have Christopher's back fully here. But I will say that I, I did never thought, even watching it now, he's, until he puts on the robe, he's not that bad. 
I want him to die in a fire. Oh, no, <laughs> I want his so sister blind. to die in a fire. It's like this movie being in the 90s, so there's people walking around going, as if. <laughs> Whatever. And, like, when you have the master going, no way, way. I mean, that's just so great. I love the campiness of this movie. Like, that's I think that's one reason why I can't really take it, like, too seriously thinking about it, because it is a campy movie. You just kind of have to take it and run with it, and that's... If you think about it too much, it doesn't make it fun anymore. But when you uh, don't think about it and just like take it for it is what it is, it's fun and it's funny because you know the master goes no way. <laughs> the, the, only thing mis- the only thing missing that. would be the master the master saying something like, "Yes, the doctor stole my body." Not. You know what the, <laughs> or, or you know what the other thing is, is we need that cool I can see. This master has an extension of the very tail end of the Anthony Angley Master, where he was being played strictly for high camp. No. (laughs) (laughs) I deny you. Once again, we have to agree that you are wrong, Shaq. Yes. I will always take Shaq being wrong. Everyone's entitled their own opinion, but if it's not mine, it's wrong. I I just thought this was really weak sauce. The amount of explanations that you've had to come out of external later media like the the books and stuff kind of reinforces that this was shitly written <laughs> Paul McGann Paul McGann Paul McGann's performance aside it's terrible it oh, doesn't yeah. even work as high cap terrible I I disagree I mean I think you know now keep in mind this is like my only real exposure to old who I I think it's okay like I don't think it's like the best thing ever but I mean I think it's okay I, I really enjoy the movie. McGann's like one of my favorite doctors, and this is one of my... It's This one's up there for me. And, and, I want to I see more of him in something that isn't this. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I really yeah. want him back for the 50th to see him. Well, we had lots of uh, big finishes with him. And he's very good, even though he's got a, he's got Rose Light as a companion. <laughs> I... I do have to say, though, like, I think the potential is probably the best part of this. Because I, I just like thinking about the potential of what would have happened. Because, you know, I, I liked characters like Lee. I think he was the better better than Grace. I mean, Actually, I think his... No, go ahead, Hope. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just... I, I like thinking about where this could have gone and, like, and, and what could have developed from it. I would have liked to see a character like Lee be... Uh, right there alongside the Doctor the whole time and having that kind of storyline. I think that would have been a really strong story. I mean, I, I just, I like looking at this and thinking about what it could have been. I don't look at anything in this and see that it gives me any confidence that the series that followed would have been any good. I, I actually, with a friend of mine, at one point had thought about doing a, uh, like an audio drama goof. As a goof, we would do like the the mock first season of, of Paul McGann. Kind of like, a, you know, granted, I know that it was also done by uh, Big Finish. But um, we actually jettisoned both the companions. We replaced them with, of all people, Nimrod from Ghostlight. Why? Because Nimrod is fucking cool. But um, I, I think I don't think we would have had any of the, char- the characters carry over because, like I said, he's pretty definitively says, "So long, goodbye. I'm going into the TARDIS now. You can't come. <laughs> yeah. So long and thanks for all the fish. Mm. Yes, call me. I really like them though. 
Okay. Well, let's wrap this up because, you know, I've got another, I don't know, six or seven hour recording that I'm going to have to do with Steven and Shag after this. So we should tell people what we're going to do with. Yeah. Them. If you're if you're wanting to hear more about what the Paul McGann doctor did after this one, after this one little uh, so so movie, uh, stay tuned later this uh probably later this week because we will be getting out an episode where Stephen and Shag talk about the uh, Wilder's years and uh, what actually happened with Paul McGann outside of the movie. So stay oh, tuned for that. Be like two separate episodes? Uh, yeah, Stephen and Shag are going to do their own thing. Cause... One long continuum. Oh, oh, no, a, it, we, so we it, like it, to call it a very special episode. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it's one about menstruation, right? Like. Exactly. Thank you, <laughs> Uh, so everyone stay tuned uh, for another episode of Who True Freaks and we'll catch you next time on uh, Who True Freaks. You're a member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. Bye everyone. Bye guys. Bye. 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 Have a good day. Shag is always wrong. The Asian That's right. Child. You and me are on the same side. Shag is always the worst. Paranium. Shag is about as useful as the actor. Like I said. Don't don't hold me. For Listening to Shag speaking. pontificate on any facts is kind of like asking an atheist to uh, conduct mass. <laughs> Shag is too cool, as in the actor who played Chang Lee is too good actor. How do you say that unsubscribe means... on a podcast? Okay, how? <laughs> All right. sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite two true freaks affiliated shows simply click the paypal link on our website donate any amount at all tell us which show you're choosing and what message if any you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener it's that easy and there is no minimum donation be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too.
My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.